Hello and welcome to our Bible study. I'm Derek Glover from the Monroe Church of Christ, and this is the continuation of our study on the book of Revelation. Um, this is the second lesson, in fact, and uh, it will be more introduction. We're going to take a couple of lessons here just to get through the introductory phase of this really important uh, work, a uh, really important book. We talked a little bit last time about the nature of this book and the purpose of this book and and how sometimes we can try to, we, we look at this as though it was written just to us and it's all about us and all of these symbols and all these numbers, we try to read some meaning into it for ourselves when that's really not the case and not what we should be looking at. Uh, so we'll continue with that introduction. Really, the, the first chapters of Revelation read like a pastoral letter, like something Paul would write, like Ephesians or First and Second Timothy or something like that, because it has this greeting, this introduction, a mission statement, uh, if you will, and then it, it doles out the information to the various recipients, very much like a pastoral letter. Uh, and it considers the recipients uh, because there are specific references made to their locations, to the industry of their, their those places, to many, many things. Uh, and so it reads very much like a pastoral letter. Remember, the audience here are Christians in the first century who have survived um, uh, uh, Caligula. They have survived Nero. They have survived terrible, terrible emperors who were... Uh, you know, the Caesar, uh, who, who, who were the gods of their day. Uh, they were considered like deity, though they were political leaders. The Christians had been on a roller coaster of acceptance and hatred, uh, being allowed to function and being hunted down and being killed. And Christianity is on this roller coaster, and now they're going from back to back to back, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. That happens sometimes. Sometimes life doesn't give you a break. Sometimes it's painful. And that is the, the that was where the Christians were at this time. And we can learn a lot from that because the message of the book of Revelation is, I know things are bad, but God is still in control. Jesus is still the Son of God. He is still that which frees you and liberates you and saves you. And in the end, God will win. God wins all things when it's said and done. So this book is as much an encouragement for faithfulness as, as it is a polemic. A polemic is a, a written attack, a written political attack against an opponent. And it is a written attack against Rome. Rome is the power of the day. Rome is a threat to Christians, to their lives and livelihoods. And um, politics uh, seems to consume us. There are sides to everything, uh, every situation. Uh, liberals want to know how it's conservatives' fault, and conservatives want to know how it's liberals' fault. And it is everything we do has a political component, political element to it. And when that's going on, we need to know the lesson of the book of Revelation. We need to understand the theme and the purpose of this book and this letter. And... One of those lessons is we never, the church, Christians, never compromise with the state, with the government, ever, ever. Even if we think it's to our benefit, we never compromise 
with political powers. We never confuse the two, the church and the state. We never want to get those two confused and never ally with them. Even when they're supporting the things we support, they are not our ally. They are not our power. They are not what we are here to do. And by the way, outside of what the Bible says, let's just look at history and see the destruction wrought by the Catholic Church and the Anglican churches and, and the wars between Protestants and Catholics because the state, nations, governments were completely tied up and twisted up and wound up with a particular church. We don't do that. We don't get the two confused. We don't look for a savior in our government. We've done that before. We don't look for a savior in our government. Now, I, I have preferences on who I'm going to vote for. I don't have any objection to Christians participating in the political process. But just understand, this world is not Jesus and. Our life as Christians is not Jesus and. Jesus and a particular political persuasion. Jesus and a particular piece of legislation. Jesus and a particular, it's just Jesus. And that's what the book of Revelation is telling us. That we are after just Jesus. That's all that we hope for. This book is anti-assimilationist. It is anti-accommodationalist. This book is a book of outright rebellion against the Roman government. It is resistance literature. It is a book of resisting the state, denying the power of the emperor of Caesar, and clinging solely and only to God Almighty and his son Jesus Christ. Do not link arms with political powers. Both sides, the, the secular world, the spiritual world, whatever you want to say, both sides try to pull uh, the state in, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We don't want that. Why? We don't have any king besides our God. That's the rebellion of Revelation. Revelation says there is no God but Jehovah. There is no king but Christ. There is no Lord but the Lord of Lords. This is a rebellious statement because Caesar was God. Caesar was king. Caesar was Lord, and we say we have no other God but God. No person, party, or agenda can save you. We never compromise our loyalty to God to support anything else. This is a question of Christian integrity. This is a book about Christian integrity. This is a book about the circumstances that Christians find themselves in that are not ideal. In fact, they are outright uh, antagonistic toward Christians. They're dangerous. And in their despair and in their frustration and in their fear, this letter comes, a revelation, a vision from God to remind them, I am king. God is in control. Reject Rome. Now, can you imagine living in this time and reading this? Uh, the phrase, Caesar is Lord, is everywhere. It's on their money. Caesar is Lord. It's spoken at all public gatherings. Caesar is Lord. Um, when you would go to sporting events, Caesar is Lord. And if that was being chanted in public and you did not join in, you were viewed as dangerous, 
someone to be watched, someone to be worried about, because you don't fall in line with acknowledging that Caesar is our God, he is our Lord, he is our King. So the question is, can a Christian just go along with these things to survive? It's an interesting question. Can a Christian just say the words and not mean them? Um, can a Christian just accept some things about the world without participating in it? That was the world they lived in. And you might say, well, no, I would never say that. I would always... Well, you might feel differently if there was a sword at your throat and it meant your children being able to eat or go hungry. You might feel differently. And I believe, I believe that God's grace is sufficient. I believe there are Christians all over the world and throughout history that have survived because they were willing to pay lip service to the ruling authority and give their heart to God. This book is a book of rebellion. This book is a book of anti-establishmentism. It is a book of anti-authoritarianism. It is a book of rejection and resistance to the government, to the powers that would, um, that would oppose God. Now, when I say that, please understand, I'm, saying, I'm not saying Rome was evil because it persecuted the church. Um, that's not really the point of the book. And I'm not saying there's one political ideology um, that is more favorable or less favorable to God. There may be political elements or environments that are more conducive to the spread of the gospel. I mean, I think you certainly see in some parts of the world that would not, evangelism doesn't happen for, for Christianity, um, but it does here. Uh, and I think it's worth uh, desiring an environment in which it's easier to do what we're called to do. That said, the point of revelation is not Rome is bad because they persecute Christians. That's not what made them evil. That's not what God was telling them to rebel against. Rome was evil, not for its persecution, but because it usurped the loyalty due to Christ. The persecution was secondary. The biggest problem with Rome, their greatest sin, and the reason God calls his people to resist is not because they persecute Christians or don't, uh, or, or don't recognize God as, as king and Jesus as Lord. It's because they demanded the loyalty and the worship and the submission that is due only to God. You shall have no other gods before me. That is the first thing that God says to his people when giving them commandments, giving them direction. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. And along comes Rome and says, I'm God. Uh, for Rome to be in the place of God that causes the problem uh, in Revelation. Let's look at a couple of other verses outside of the book of Revelation. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 
Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, uh, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What does Peter say there about how we are to live in this world as aliens and strangers? We don't live here. This isn't home. The book of Revelation reinforces that idea. We resist, we rebel, and we live according to the understanding that there is but one God, and he is Jehovah, and his son is Jesus Christ, and he is the Lord of Lords. We, we believe that, we accept it, we preach it, we teach it, and we follow it. And no government, no authority, no set of rules or laws that demands fealty to, to, a, to a, a central power is going to change our minds. That's the message of Revelation. God is God, not Rome. And do not be turned away from understanding that. And so we are to live as aliens and strangers. If you go back a little bit further into uh, the, new, the early part of the New Testament, go to Philippians chapter 3. And, and look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that has he has even to subject all things to himself. We are not citizens here. Our citizenship is in heaven. I love this country. Uh, the United States of America, as much as anybody. And I call myself an American because that's the designation of my nationality. But I'm not an American. Not first. Any more than a Christian was to be a Roman first. I'm a Christian. That's how I identify. That's what I pledge my allegiance to. That's what I recognize as my God. And it doesn't matter who's in charge of our government. It doesn't matter what party is in control of the Senate. It doesn't matter how the Supreme Court... I don't... I am loyal to God first. Even where I might have preferences or, or desires for a particular... I am loyal to God. God is God. The, this nation is not God. Our government is not God. And any government that demands that you see them as a God is wrong because we don't live here. We're not citizens. So we don't say the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I don't mean that literally. If you want to honor our nation, you're welcome to do that. What I mean is our allegiance is to God because just as someone who's not a citizen of the United States probably wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance, in, a, in, a, in the sense of our heart and our attitude, we must recognize that we are not citizens of this world. Therefore, we don't pledge our allegiance to this world. We don't cozy up to this world. We don't get in bed with this world. We don't let this world corrupt God's way. Revelation calls us and every generation to worship God. And that is a key to understanding Revelation that we're going to get into in our next lesson. Revelation is a book that is absolutely full of, saturated with worship 
This is a book of worship. Now, I know you're saying, what? A book of worship? This is a book about the apocalypse and the end of times and the Antichrist and, and all these numbers and symbols. We've got to look past that. We've got to understand that the way they would have understood it when it was written and when it was read. And we've got to see that this is a book of worship. It's full of it. It's all about our worship. And we have to understand what worship is. Worship is more than just songs and sermons. That's how we think of it because that's how we experience it. But worship, as the Bible describes it, is a question of orientation. Which direction are you facing? Are you pointing yourself toward God in all circumstances? Or are you letting this world twist you up, turn you around? Do you find yourself pointing toward one direction for help when things are a certain way and another direction for help when things are different? Or do you, are you always oriented on God? That's what worship is. Worship is more than just an act. It's more than just a song, a prayer, communion, a sermon. It's more than that. Worship is a focal point that we are aligned with. Some days are going to be better than others. Some days are going to be easier than others. Some days are going to be hard. And worship, true worship, is not even how joyful we are about life because some days it's not joyful. Worship is, are you facing the right direction? Are you pointed toward the right thing? Are you looking to God and oriented on him, pointing yourself toward him in all circumstances. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He did not say you've got to know the answer and find the way and get inside the door. Some days we just have to ask, seek, and knock, but we want to be pointed toward God. Revelation is a book about rebellion it is a book about the one true God above all, and it is about worship. Worship of God, who alone is our King. I look forward to you joining us for lesson number three. As we dig into the text and these letters that uh, John is writing to these various churches uh, based on the vision that he is being given. It's going to be a wonderful study, and we're glad that you've joined us. We'll see you next time.